Hello and welcome to the Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie, as always, your podcast hosts for the best team in the state of Rhode Island. It's been an eventful last week for the Friars here. So we are going to be talking about that on today's episode of The Flex. Uh, a reminder, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. How you doing tonight, Joe? I'm good, Matt. It was an up-and-down week for the Friars. Some some devastating, I wouldn't say devastating, some, some lows, some highs. URI still sucks. Uh, let's get into it. <laughs> Yeah, we'll start with the bad news. We'll go in chronological order here. Friars head down to Texas, and they were unable to repeat the success they had in Texas the last time they were there on that ugly, ugly floor in a game that really never felt that competitive for long. It felt a lot like the games Mohegan Sun felt. Yeah, um, I, I think we showed glimpses, I think. Hopkins and Carter specifically. Oh, and Jaden Pierre, I can't leave him out. I think those three showed glimpses of um, athleticism and talent and potential. But otherwise, you know, that's a game you want to crumple up the box sheet and, and throw out the tape because it, it just wasn't very good. It looked really disjointed. They didn't look like they were playing together. Um, yeah. And not to mention that court, Matt, sucks to watch. It just you need to take. You need to take some Advil before and after that game just because it's, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Hey, we did see, uh, what do you call it, uh, TCU brought out their throwback home uniforms for that one, which I thought looked good. So that was at least a, a bright spot on the aesthetic front. <laughs> the Friars, uh, Hopkins and Devin Carter each had 17 points in that one. Um, Hopkins had four rebounds, which somehow – oh, sorry, no, that did not lead the team. Uh, it was – Pierre had five rebounds. Castro had seven rebounds. Those were the team leaders. Hopkins, 17 points, four boards, four assists, four turnovers. So four for four for four. A little free <laughs> Wendy promotion there. Uh, Jaden Pierre, 13 points off the bench there. He knocked down a pair of triples. He had two turnovers and no assists, though. Your assist leader was Jared Bynum. He had four to one turnover, over four from deep. Just two points on the game, and they didn't come until late in it. Friars did put together a run in the first half, a little bit. They led 28-25, and then that's when things kind of came off. And I think I think the big story for me in that one, like the top one, is how the, the Friars did not look prepared at the start of either the first or the second half. They got boat raced at the start of both. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Matt. They, the TCU came out of the gate hot. I think it was 11-2 to at one point. Um, and then, like you said, the Friars were able to chip back in, make a little run, take a lead. And then once the second half started, that was really it. TCU jumped out to, I think it was a 13-point lead, and then never really looked back. We chipped away to nine at points, but that was really it. it the, the team didn't have much spark, not a lot of momentum, and, and – like I said, it just it looked disjointed. It didn't really look like their best effort. They looked overwhelmed and ill-prepared. Yeah, and that's that's going to be what happens when you're, you're starting backcourt there. Your point guard and your shooting guard combined for just two points on the night. I think Bonham did pretty well as a distributor for the most part. Other than that, though, he could not buy a bucket. And then Noah Locke, he only played 10 minutes. He went over two from deep had two defensive rebounds and that was it for him. It was, it was like he wasn't there. And if you have basically two starters, there, no showing 
on the road against the top 25 borderline top 25 team then i actually i didn't check the poll today so i don't know if they're did they get ranked today um i actually did not check the poll today either so let's check this right now i mean whether they're ranked or not tcu is a good team yeah they're at number 24 now tcu is a ranked team the fact that it was even that close and that competitive at points given the fact that some key players didn't show up i think is impressive and a testament to the fact that this team has talent and good players but you need more yeah, I, I think uh, what interested me about this is Noah Locke specifically did not start. I think Cooley was going for a bigger look. He put Clifton Moore at the five, mm-hmm. at the four. Croswell started at the five. But when you look at Clifton, uh, excuse me, when you look at Noah Locke's body language throughout the game, he didn't look like he wanted to be there. Um, maybe it's yeah. because he lost. He didn't start. Maybe it's because he wasn't getting a lot of run. But I think body language is so telling, especially during games like this, like who's making that effort to come back versus who looks like they're giving up Hopkins, Carter, Pierre, even Alan Breed at points, they looked like they wanted to be there and they were at least putting the effort out. Noah Locke did not. And this isn't to knock him. It's just an observation that I saw. And I think the, the, the transformation of his body language from that TCU game to that URI game was like night and day. Yeah. Well, and I think him, I mean, he's out of the starting lineup there, which is interesting. The lack of minutes. I do wonder if he was a little bit banged up or under the weather or something, and maybe that's playing a factor into it, which is totally the case. Unfortunately, Locke is the type of player, kind of like an early career, A.J. Reeves, where if he's not hitting the shots, he's not going to give you a lot on the floor. He's just, shot making is what he does. He's good at other things, but he is a sixth man or a seventh man if he's not hitting the shots, and he's not going to be so it becomes tough. Uh, you mentioned the the kind of the double bigs there as starters too. I think what was interesting to me about that is that they do that and TCU scores eight of the first eleven points in the paint anyway. Didn't matter. I, no, I I think Clifton Moore has shown the most success coming off of the bench. Um, I think the ebb and flow between him and Croswell sharing time at the five is the best that we've seen. I I'm not too fond of the two of them on the court at the same time just because. They're both big men, and as versatile as Clifton Moore can be offensively as a stretch, defensively the two of them are better as anchors on the low block. So uh, I I think defensively you can't have both in at the same time. You need one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, TCU was having their way. They they made their big man look like an all-star with his weekend haircut or the weekend haircut. (laughs) Yeah, Eddie Lampkin was really, really good. I I was impressed by him. He had a double-double. I think he's going to be a force for teams to deal with all year. And like Damian Ball coming back for them, he was as advertised. He gave them exactly what we talked about him giving them and gave them the points. No rust for him. Sometimes it's one of those nights and they were on. They did get offensive rebounds, uh, I think, which is interesting. And you get nine combined from Castro and Pierre there, two freshmen, one a red shirt, one true. Which, I mean, that's anytime your point guard and your third center are making that kind of an impact, that's a good thing. I think that's a really good thing. This was, you know, in a game full of negatives, there are positives to take away here. Jaden Pierre looks really good. And this is a consecutive string of games now where he has looked really good. Yeah. And it's like it. It's a close game on the road against a good team. So it's now that we're a little bit away from it, now that it's been almost five days here. The, once the emotion is taken out of the game, it, it doesn't look as bad on the box score as it felt watching it, which no. I think is, part is because they did some stuff late to probably make it look a little bit better. But also, like they, the guys tried, and there's talent there. And even, like, I think 
the worst case for this team. Like the three losses you have this year aren't bad. And if you play like that kind of team, all right, you might be an NIT team this year, which is a disappointment from last year and a come down, but also five new starters. Like this is this is hard. <laughs> yeah. It's ugh, I hate the NIT, the not invited tournament. <laughs> um no, I think I, I think you're right, Matt. That you know, you have to give this team some credit here. It's five brand new starters. Um the only players that actually played the last time at TCU were Croswell and Alan Breed. So it's okay. five new starters who are basically facing off against a team they've never played before. Um, I, I think, too, when you look down the road at, at a potential NCAA tournament berth, the selection committee isn't going to say, oh, well, TCU came out of the gates hot in the first and second half. They're not going to break it down the way that we are now. They're going to say, OK, Providence lost on the road at two at a then eventually next week ranked TCU team, you know, Oh well, that's a that's a game you're supposed to lose. You know, right now yeah. as it stands, Providence has won the games they're supposed to win. They lost two games that they were supposed to lose, and the St. Louis one is kind of a toss up because St. Louis is better than I think most expected this season, and they're a good team. yeah, they're a good team. So it, there's no real blemishes on the resume to this point, and I'm gonna knock on wood because I know we, we have some games mid- coming up here. We have a pair of mid-majors on, on the docket up next. Um, but like you said, Matt, a 13-point loss at TCU isn't the end of the world. For us as fans, we watched the game, so it made us a little sick to our stomachs, not only from the court, but from the way the team played. But at the yeah. end of the day, this loss isn't one to hang your head on. It's just it's one of those games. Yeah, And assuming the Friars take care of business, as they should in the next week, this team is going to go into conference play with no good wins, but no bad losses. Kind of a clean yeah. slate. You get through unscathed and it's your season's going to be entirely determined by who you are in Big East play, which exactly. all things considered, that's, that's not a bad place to be. We're not, this isn't Louisville or Florida State right now or Georgetown or even the, the spot Villanova. And Villanova has a, a win, but some losses that they probably shouldn't have. And you can, and a lot of them, that's the, the important thing is the volume. The Friars should go in to conference play here at eight and three. Things go well. So win 11 or 12 games in the Big East, you'll be dancing. Yeah, I agree. I think coming into the season, you know, at least me personally, I know you and I share the same sentiment at, at points in time. There, there was a concern for a Sweet 16 hangover that, you know, this team wasn't going to mesh right away, that, you know, they were going to suffer some bad losses. I know from the outside looking in, that's what Tommy said on the Road to the Garden preview. To this point in time, they're doing what they're supposed to do. So Sweet 16 hangover with respect to not beating good teams, yes. Sweet 16 hangover with respect to choking and losing to bad teams, no. And I'm going to knock on wood again here because (laughs) these are dangerous things to say with the upcoming schedule. But um, no, they're doing exactly what they are expected to do when you lose all five starters and you bring in a new slate of of transfers. This is what you're supposed to do. It looks like a fresh team and it takes a little bit. Um, do you think we saw them take a step forward on the road on uh, Saturday there at the Ryan Center? We're going to talk about that in a second. But first, we teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase did you end up using that this sunday joe for the giants game no i did not i had um Ooh. i had uh, i did not use this the seat geek 
um, promotion for the Giants game. I, w- I should have, but I'm, I'm saving it for the Seton Hall game, I think. That's a good call. That's a good call. Um, but yeah, while we're, on, while we're on the topic of corporate America, it's the holiday season. <laughs> you know, if you're an avid listener to the Flex for the past couple of years, we now have merchandise for all of you loyal fans. Head over to house-enterprise.com, hit the merch tab, find the Flex logo, and, you know, shop for some merch. I spent a lot of money on there already. I know Matt spent some money on there, too. It helps us out. It's great for the brand. And, you know, we love the, we love to see you guys rep us. Wear it to the dunk. Wear it to MSG. Wear it in your house. Wear it to the um, amp. <laughs> wear it to the amp. Oh, yes. Nah. Yeah, you said the dunk. I know. You want to know what really threw me? I was looking through the game notes here for the, the Providence Manhattan game coming up. And I realized now that you refer to the stadium as the amp in all instances. They're talking about when Providence, the last time Providence played Manhattan was in 1990 at the amp. That, that gave me a little headache to read. That's not, no, it doesn't like feel that. right. It is right, but it doesn't feel right. Don't like that. Not one yeah. bit. But yeah. All right. So the Friars obviously lost there to TCU. Tough loss. 75-62 was the final. Things were a little bit hairy early at URI in a game that got off to a fast start. The Friars ended up pulling away, winning 88-74, and really started to put things away before the end of the first half and then controlled the second half. It's nice to be on top of the state yet again. Yeah, you know, give URI and their fans credit, you know, they brought out the baby blue gear. They packed the small little Back. Ryan Center, um, but they have to tuck it all away. And you know they lost their Super Bowl again. And th- you know what? It's it's commonplace for them to lose their Super Bowl to the Friars, so it shouldn't be too much of a shock. But it's always that a little extra satisfying for us on this end. But no, you're yeah. right. Talking oh, specific. Go ahead. It was the the team's first win at the Ryan Center since I believe 2015, if I'm remembering that correctly. They lost both games there while we were there, and it's the first game there since COVID. So that's a big road yeah. win just to get something in that building. No, that's a huge road win. Um, and you talk about huge road win. This is this is Brad Wright's win. It's not necessarily a win that's going to pump you up in Ken Palmer the net, which is out now, but it's a win a win where you're heading to a rival road environment that's extremely hostile, like. I'll make jokes about the Ryan center all I want. When we went there sophomore year, it's deafening. It's very difficult to play in there. If you're the Providence Friars. So, and that's, I mean, it's it's a fun building to play. in. I'll tell you that much. The fans are right on top of the court. Like it's the energy is there. It's, it's an entertaining game. So I'll give them that. And they brought out the throwbacks. Both teams brought out the throwbacks, which I loved. Soft launch. I love the soft launch. Yes. I mean, that's the, the Friars should just wear these for every game. Where the, where are these at home too? Why not? Yeah, it's they do. Well, I, they do. <laughs> the the black throwbacks? No, the white and the yellow throwbacks. No, I'm saying they should wear the black throwbacks. No, I, I know. I was just I was I was teasing you. <laughs> I've been I've said for forever that they should do one game a year in conference play with a blackout theme. Give out black T-shirts. Have everybody wear that in the arena, and then wear out the black throwbacks at home. And do I it. Agree. Do. Do it against like Marquette and Marquette can come in wearing like the baby blues or the yellow. So you get the contrast and it'll like that would work perfectly. You can do it against Villanova. Villanova has the baby blue uniforms too. And it really wouldn't be an issue. Villanova is the UNC knockoff uniforms. (laughs) The dollar store UNC uniforms. Ah, The ones they they wore last year. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, this game. 
Yes. I think to, to me, the top story is Bryce Hopkins. I think this is the best game he's had in a Friar uniform. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 14 points, 15 boards. He was an animal on the glass, an animal on the defensive end. And his buzzer beater capped off a 17-2 to two run that ended the first half and essentially sealed the game. He, his fingerprints were all over this one. And he just he continues to improve night in and night out. And in the postgame press conference, Cooley even said, you know, this is what Bryce is supposed to do. And we're not even seeing the best version of him yet. So I don't know about you, but if the best version of Bryce Hopkins is for two, is a double double with 15 rebounds plus some. Then I'm excited to see that. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the thing that stood out to me was the attitude he played with. I liked that he was getting downhill and being aggressive and confident. He was calling for the ball. He wanted to shots, and it wasn't. I think he's played a little bit timidly at points early this season. It was the first one where he threw his weight around, and he looked like a big man down there. And then he stepped out and took a couple threes, too. He didn't hit them, but those will come. I think that's a shot he will be able to hit. Yeah. And the difference between being a guy who could throw your weight around down low and, and do stuff, and then that guy who can also step out and hit the threes – that's the difference between like Big East all second team and contention for player of the year. You can add that perimeter shot and be that type of guy, a forward. Tell you, I mean, that's what Alpha Diallo and Rodney Bullock did for so long. If you can do that consistently, you can be the best version we've seen of that guy in a Providence uniform. That was, it was impressive. And it was, it was a confidence booster for me as a fan here too, because yeah. I think. You, know, you look at transfers just because somebody's recruited highly doesn't mean they're ever going to turn into that. And sometimes a guy goes somewhere and they're recruited highly, doesn't work out your one, they transfer. And it's like, all right, they're just the ranking got it wrong. They're not that guy. Bryson Goodine, case in point, he had some really good moments for the Friars. He's he wasn't that guy. He was a top 100 recruit coming out. And it's like, all right, there, there's there's a world where Hopkins is a guy who receives the points because somebody's got a score, but he's never a dominant player. That's the first we've seen of him, of him being a dominant player at one end of the floor. I'd even go as far as making that argument for Greg Gant, too. He was very highly rated. He was given Alpha Diallo. Yeah, he was given Alpha Diallo's spot in that the season after Diallo graduated. And not to knock the kid, he, he didn't fulfill it. And it took us halfway through the season for Horkler to take over those reins. So I think you're right, Matt. I think Hopkins um, I, actually, we even saw that with him at Kentucky. Highly rated, went to Kentucky. Didn't get the minutes, so a little bit of a different situation, but he's proving yeah. his worth here is is the bottom line. is He was re- highly ranked for a reason, and now we're seeing why. Yeah, and now it's all right. That's that's the first step, and that's where I think Cooley's also talking about building, and this is all right. He's got levels to go because, all right, he's a highly recruited guy. You should be able to throw your weight around, play with confidence, and dominant against a bottom-tier school in the A-10, which is what URI has been so far this season should continue to be the case the next two games. Then you got Seton Hall. And I mean, that's going to be your first Big East game. It's on the road. Seton Hall's got some dudes, some physical wings, and they got size. And all right, now can you do it against them? That'll be the next test. And Hopkins, I mean, he's probably going to be, I don't know if or when he's going to the NBA. I expect he'll be in Providence for at least two seasons. So he doesn't have to do this right away. The, like, there's developmental pieces here. If he becomes this guy next year, that is totally okay. But you want to yeah. see the steps. And that's that was a nice step to see. No, I, I agree. You want to see him progress before we even before we even talk about NBA talk, but you want to see him progress. Um, we know, you know, you can tell by the way he's playing now that he will be that guy when he gets there. 
if it's this season, if it's next, as long as he does while he's in the black and white, I will be happy. Um, even if it's next season, I'm happy with what he's producing now. You know, he yeah. was he was brought in and he was expected to be, you know, that Rodney Bullock, the Alpha Diallo, the Noah Horkler, the Isaiah Jackson. He was supposed to be that guy. And so far he's done it. If he takes that next step this season, God, I hope it's during conference play, during the beginning of conference play. I think it's also, you can just tell with the volume of shots. I mean, he took 11, sorry, 13 shots, 11 inside the arc. That was tied for the most shots anybody took on the Friars, if, I'm, if, I, if my math is mathing here. Uh, he also got to the line there twice. Five offensive rebounds. Yeah, good stuff all around. Still maybe too many turnovers, three turnovers, but four assists. So you live with it. He yeah. was one of three Friars here with 14 points. And I think I think the next guy here is the other big story out of this game, Jared Bynum. 14 yeah. points, five assists, only two turnovers, knocked down two threes. I think this is the best game we've seen from Jared Bynum this season. I agree, Matt. And something we said before we started recording is he let the game come to him. And I think that was the key and kind of this bounce back for Bynum. Um, he was a playmaker first. And then, you know, what I loved that we saw is that if, you know, the shot clock was winding down and the play fell through for whatever reason, Bynum took it to the rack and finished. Um, we talked about it before we started recording, but we saw this against Miami. We saw this a couple other times this season where Bynum would take it to the rack and would miss kind of in a fluster. He looked composed. He, like I said, he let the game come to him. When he drained those two threes, they were timely. They were in rhythm. They weren't forced. It, this was a really good bounce back game for Jared Bynum. Um, he was finding guys left and right. It, it was just an overall great performance for him. I think what you said is best, you know, this was his best game of the season so far. Yeah, I think you can tell that you said letting the game come to him. I think you can see that in the box score. The first half, only four points. He only took two shots. He got to the free throw line, knocked down two, and he had four assists. He's dishing it out. He's making plays for other people. He was a big part of Noah Locke having a big first half. We're going to have to mention him here. Yep. Second half, 10 points, knocks down two triples, only one assist. He was a little bit more ball forward he led the team in scoring that half and that's what you needed from him. you get that step back three that was nice and that was kind of the moment of okay he just his confidence is there again which yeah. was huge and that he played focused it was all right i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna facilitate i'm gonna like you like to say set the table for everybody yeah. else in the offense and if the opportunities come to me they come to me and that happened and things flowed and then you're able to take more shots and structure. You hit the shots, see the ball go through the net and things build off of that. Yeah. Uh, and if he can be that playmaker, if he can be first team all Big East, that type of guy, then all right. This Friars team being a top four team in the Big East is absolutely back on the menu. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Hopkins is going to Hopkins, but for this team to compete for a spot in the upper tier of the conference, you need Bynum to be on. You need URI game Jared Bynum to produce. I think that I think that's a great take right there. Yeah, uh, he wasn't the only guard who did well. I mentioned Noah Locke there. He finished with 13 points. 11 of them came in the first half. He had three triples. They they were just running the AJ Reeves offense for him, which I thought was kind of funny. You you just you're watching him run the same cuts and the circles and the the back screens and it was ah right, we've seen this one before. Yep. You know what I like, too, about uh, what they did with Locke is they let him attack the basket a little bit. They didn't just use him as that one-trick, three-point pony. Um, this is something we saw with Reeves, too, and it, it drove me nuts, is they would only set up three-pointers for Reeves. 
when you let him attack, when you let Reeves attack the basket, that's when the three started falling. I thought the same kind of applied to Noah Locke to a degree in this game. He attacked the basket a little bit. There was a little dribble drive penetration and a pull up. I, I, I thought it was a good bounce back game for Noah Locke too. Um, and body language, like I said, during that TCU game, whether he was dinged up, whether it was a mental thing, the body language TCU versus the body language URI was night and day. He looked like yeah. he wanted to be there. He was look. He looked aggressive. He looked locked in. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. Yeah, I'm gonna need to get that on a shirt. Locked in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, that's that's the type of game you wanted to see from him. Now build on it. Now keep doing it. But I think he can. And it's the the nice thing about both Bynum and Locke having good nights. We've seen them do it before. You're not worried. Yeah. I'm not worried if it's a flash in the pan. They've been good players in their careers. So having a good game here seems to be more likely a sign that good games will continue than that. They just happen to get hot for one night. I like that. We saw the whole team buy in too. I think like that was, this was the most cohesive we've seen the team be in the half court. The, the transition offense was very good too, as it's been all year. I think I'd like to see them get out and run a little bit more. If it's going to look like that, just, it, that might be the best, the best trick you have in your bag right there. But good stuff. Yeah, I mean, not to, to, take a step too far back, but when you look at that TCU game, our half court offense was non-existent. A lot of the points that we got were in transition. I thought against URI, it was a nice blend of both. The half court was working. The transition was working. I think that's the kind of, you know, split that you look for going forward. Um, and this is something, you know, you talked about all the, the, the top guys buying in. This is something I, I, I wrote about in my piece for house enterprise this week is that the top seven guys, you know, contributed greatly. There were six and double figures. Alan Breed had nine and five boards. This is the Providence team that, you know, we've been thinking about. We've been seeing glimpses of, but in pieces. You know, Clifton Moore came out of the gates hot. He had a couple of great performances. You know, Breed provided a spark at the dunk that one game. Bynum, you know, we've been waiting for him to turn it on. Hopkins has been consistent. Carter's been consistent. Croswell's been consistent. This was the first game where we saw all of them piece it together, and the result was a blowout on the road. And I think this is why... There was a lot of high expectations for this team coming into the season because when everyone mm -hmm. fires on all cylinders, this is what you get. It's a very good team. It's a very good team. And I think there's still questions about the defense. It's it's oh, yeah. not oh, all yeah. there yet. But yeah, they had uh, 20 of their points came on the fast break. Yeah. 20 out of 88, which that that's a good percentage. That's that's like a nice balanced percentage, right? There. That's what you want to see. So I'm happy to yeah. see that. Clifton Moore, you mentioned in there. He was tied for the team leading points with 14. Like that's yeah. he's good. Yep. I, I've got a I've got a trivia time for you here. Yes, let's do it. Uh, for anybody that knows the Ken Palm website well, they highlight any player who is in the top 500 um, in any particular ranking. There are two Friars right now who are in the top 500 for offensive rating. Can you name them? For offensive rating. Yes. Well, I'm going to guess Clifton Moore is one of them because... Yep, Clifton Moore is one of them. He is at 81st in the nation. Just tell me this much because I, I have two guys in mind. Is it another big or is it a guard? Oh, I'm not giving that away. Damn it. It's Cliff. It's Devin Carter. No, he, he is actually um, the Damn. only player who plays serious minutes who is below 100. <laughs> so is it Hopkins then? No. Croswell. Yep. 
Ed yeah. Croswell of Croswell Cleaners is at 105 in the nation. He's been wow. very efficient. He's fifth in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. It's pretty good. That is a, that's as we say in the industry, Matt. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, very good, even. Yeah. Very good. Um, I think it means threshold. I know him and Hopkins. This might be a little outdated. We're leading a lot of the coveted big men in the league in rebounding. Maybe not Sonogo. I think Sonogo was nestled right in between Hopkins and Croswell, but I, they were leading Kalkbrenner, Nunji, Fremantle, Dixon, you know, uh, Wahab, all of these, you know, highly ranked big men that everyone's talking about. Hopkins and Croswell are, are doing work on the glass. Yeah. Here's something for you. The Friars are 13th in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. That's uh, and that's this team has been good and it's uh, this is this might sound gross but if you want a team to kind of compare to here that this team could be, I look back to some of the UConn teams of the past two years that were not always very good at shooting, but they would hammer you with physicality, hammer you on the offensive glass, and get the extra looks. Like that's what that's what De- that's the kind of basketball Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins and Ed Croswell are built for. I don't know what the defensive end is going to look like, but on the offensive end. This team is probably not going to be the most efficient shooting team. So if you want to score points, get the second chance. Um, I also, yeah. while we're talking about chances down low, I thought the post-ups were really good, and I thought the entry passes were a lot better and crisper on Saturday. In fact, yeah. it wasn't just the half-court offense being better. Yeah, I agree. It looks like it looks like they repped that out at practice. Yeah, and it's part of that too. Is like if you want. I don't know. A, a lot of sports strategy, things get like overcomplicated as some big thing when in reality it's all right. Well, if you want to run that stuff, you have to do it against a man defense. And if you want to play against a man defense, you have to shoot the ball well enough that teams won't play zone on you. So you saw yeah. the guys came out shooting well. Rhode Island can't play zone. That opens up your post opportunity. Not, there's no rocket science. There's no crazy stuff here. It's just you do one thing and it leads to success in others. <laughs> This is basketball at the end of the day, as as many stats as there are, as as much of a headache as we make it out to be, as mentally (laughs) unhealthy as it causes us to be. This is a a game where you throw a ball into a net. Um, Yeah, it's it's it can be very simple at times. Yeah, it's it's math. If it's zone defense, you want to be in the post. It's probably going to be one on two. If it's man defense, you're going to be in the post. It's probably going to be one on one. One of these is better for the offense than the other. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I I think we could also talk about just looking at what we haven't mentioned here. Yeah, we talked about all the starters for the most part. Oh, Devin Carter, I thought was pretty good. He didn't hit his threes, which he's not going to. He did everything else well. He had two steals in there. Uh, let's talk about the backup guards, Alan Breed and Jaden Pierre. I think this is Jaden Pierre's worst game of the season after he had his best against TCU. No points. He only took one shot. He only played nine minutes. Part of the reason was because Alan Reed looked really, really good. Yeah, I was going to say when the opportunity isn't there, I won't. Ex- I'm not going to expect Pierre to necessarily stuff the stat sheet against TCU. The opportunity was there. Locke, Bynum, and Breed did not have a good game, so Cooley's hand w- was forced. Um, but you're right, Alan Breed had a really good game. I think the highlight was that uh, nifty and one, and Ed Cooley jumped off the bench and said that's the effing way to do it or something like that to breed um that was that was a huge momentum booster right there and alan breed is just he's sneaky like a difference maker um 
that one game I get, I forget who it was against maybe Columbia. He had a, a nine or to 12 point swing, all just him. And then that was game, you know, yeah. he had nine points against URI. He was attacking the rim. He makes his free throws. He does all of the little things that you need to win ball games. And then he did the the good things there by scoring. I mean, he scored nine points on five shots from the field. He only missed one shot. I mean, if your if your backup guard is giving you that kind of shooting, you're going to be in a good position. And you talked about like what this kind of the big picture of the team. If Alan Breed is giving you that on a night where Noah Locke and Jared Bynum aren't on, then it goes unnoticed and it doesn't look like a big deal because you're yeah. not going to win the game. But yeah. then when Locke and Bynum are giving you what you expect. Then when Breed comes in and gives you that off the bench, that's what takes the team to the next level, having that depth. It's just like when this team had Malik White coming off the bench or Jared Bynum coming off the bench. And he's so, I mean, let's see if he can keep the scoring up because he's had issues issues with shooting consistency. But we saw, like, he's had that 18-point game at Villanova as a freshman. He's got some scoring touch. If he can bring it consistently, then he's... Like Pierre may not see a ton of minutes this year to no fault of his own because there's good guards right. here. Right. And not to mention, like you said, Breed is experienced. 18 points of Villanova. I remember that dagger three-pointer he hit against Marquette his freshman year. Breed has had some big boy moments. The free throws against Xavier. Breed mm-hmm. has been there. Um, he's not the top guy on the roster, and that's fine because the what he what he does give you when he's on the floor is impactful and it's important. So if Pierre suffers some minutes to breed, I think that's okay. Yeah. And it's, you, you want to put the best players out there. It's the thing we always talk about too, is these are 18 to 22 year old men. Like these are college students. They're going to be inconsistent. They're not professionals here. Or maybe with the NIL, depending on how you want to consider that. But these are, these really at, at their core, these are amateur athletes. This is not the only thing they do in their lives. And you're going to have inconsistencies because of that. And guys are going to have off nights. So being able to have five guards with Bynum, with Locke, with Carter, with Pierre, and Breed, you feel comfortable throwing out there for extended minutes, it matters a lot less if one of them has an off night. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Yeah. All right. Uh, In other news, a couple things. Uh, There's the uh, LaDante Hinton and Kyron Cartwright things there with the coaching staff which Compton. Yeah. It's awesome to see that. I'm hyped that we're seeing uh, a guy get a promotion from the inside there and he's working his way up. And Cartwright had been a high school, a high school coach at Minnesota before this, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he so was nice playing internationally season. then came home. Yeah. Uh, I got to hang out with him at the Big East tournament last year too, which is fun. I got to tie his tie. That's a cool experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, seeing him come back into the fold there is awesome for the program and, if you want a recruiting boost, the fact that you got guys like this who are coming back to then learn from the coach and try to become coaches themselves and become better coach, like that's it's a great recruiting thing. Because I mean, like we talked about, not all these guys are going to the pros. And no. if you think you can find a home in this program and then use it to become a coach, I'm, I guarantee you there are players that would rather stay in Providence and be a coach than go overseas and play. And yeah, being able I agree. to get guys in and that helps build the culture. You got two guys in that have been to the Big East tournament championship game on your coaching staff now in the in the new Big East. That's pretty cool. Have that experience and be able to to have that with the guys. I yeah, I think it's awesome. Um 
I also think too, for just for a backcourt purposes, having Kyron it, it, whispering in the ears of the point guards is going to be something special. I mean, Jared Bynum has shown glimpses of that late shot clock, shot clock playmaking that we saw Kyron Cartwright do. I think if he can get Bynum doing that a little bit more consistently, it's going to take him to the next level. Yeah. Uh, then the, the last little bit of news here, the NCAA's net rankings dropped, which at this point in time mean almost nothing because conference play isn't here yet and sample sizes are so small. Every loss means a ton right now, and it, that'll get kind of whittled down as the season goes along. But the Friars are going to start out here at 145. For context, like TCU is an 81 right now, and they're number 24 in the AP poll. So that that's where this is at. So don't don't get scared by that number. And this isn't like this isn't really that much of an efficiency metric either. Like the net by and large is pretty good and usually ends up as a somewhat accurate reflection of the teams at the end of the day. So this is just yeah. where they are for now. You know what I did like though about the net rankings, Joe? What's that? Did you did you see where Louisville is? No. Where are they? Three sixty one out of three sixty three. <laughs> Ouch. I mean, I, I can't say I'm surprised, but woof. That, this, it's bad. Noah Locke was Louisville, smart to get out of there. Louisville's next game comes this Saturday at Florida State. And uh, <laughs> Florida State is at 293 right now. This is not a good Florida State team. Am I crazy for saying that this game might be must-watch basketball? Like, if you're looking for something else to do, a game between two programs that are supposed to be that good that'll end up being that bad is just hilarious. It's not must-watch basketball because the comparison I'm going to make is it's like when a, a winless Georgetown plays DePaul. You know, it's like you want to see that team get their first win, but you know the only shot that they have to do it is against another crappy team. Yeah, this is the car crash of college basketball. Like, yeah, you don't want to watch, but you're going to yeah. end up checking the score and tuning it in at some point anyway. I just can't wait until Louisville somehow or another knocks off a top 25 opponent and flips everybody on their head. They play at Kentucky on New Year's Eve. That's a win. I'm I'm chalking that, that in as a win. It, it might be their first win. That being Louisville's first, if I can get one, if I can use, like, I don't know, a New Year's resolution here early, like a New Year's wish or Christmas wish, however we want to do this. If I can use it on one thing, it's going to be Louisville being winless going into that game and then winning it. That's yeah. too fun. I, yeah. Oh my god. Um, that, yeah. Santa Cooley, please come on. Uh, some other Big East rankings: UConn's at the top there at number two, which I don't think is a surprise with their resume at this point. Creighton is at thirty-three. Xavier is at forty-eight. Uh, Marquette's up there at thirty-seven, so right up there with Creighton with their big win they had. DePaul is at 161, one spot behind Villanova at 160, and then Georgetown bringing up the rear at 250. Woof. Just a couple of Big East teams. Yeah. That's what it's done. That'll get, like I said, this will all get filtered down and figured out by the end of the season. So don't, do not yeah. pay that much attention to what that number looks like right now. I, no. I know we, uh, we complained about Ken Palm on here, but I'll say it feels about accurate right now. The Friars are at 75, and they moved back up after the loss to URI. They were 75 going into TCU. They dropped 81. They moved back up to 75. Feels about right for where this team is right now. Yeah, I actually, I think they were at 73 the other night. They must have dropped again because of yeah, some other thing. This is just what it looks like right now, yeah. Six and three with those wins and some iffy performances in there. And win the Manhattan and Albany games the way you should. 
and then Biggie's play determines your fate. That's that's where we're at. And if you play, I mean, if, you, if this team wins the game against UConn, they're going to have to play good basketball to do it. So. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have a pod for you in between the Manhattan game and the Albany game. Both of these teams are going to be quad four <laughs> opponents. They're going to be, they're both outside the top 300 in Ken Palm. Manhattan is in an awful state as a program. I uh, believe Albany is, is he, is he still their head coach? The guy they've got there at Albany? I yeah. don't even, I haven't even looked at Albany yet. Uh, Dwayne Killings is the, the Albany head coach. He's currently being sued by a former player for allegedly punching him in the locker room. And <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Both that's not funny. Next- I just – that's the last thing I expected you to say. Yeah. No, it's bad. And these are two low majors. Like, this is – got to beat up on both of these teams. Let's look for that 14-point win or more. Let's. I think that's kind of the threshold here. We, We've seen a couple wins of 14 points and – we number. love 14 point wins. I think the last three wins of straight had 14 points. Come on, let, let's bust into the 20s here. <laughs> we like to win by two touchdowns, I guess. That's the yeah. yeah. We've got the, the last three wins are by 14 points, and then the two before that were each by 24 points. So I guess we like the fours. Let's get a 34 in there. Yeah, what you know what? 54. Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hopefully, we won't have to do any emergency podcasts this week about. Oh a loss that is that's that's the goal there um yeah. oh well we'll give you uh we'll give you game times here the game against manhattan is going to be wednesday night at 8 30 on fox sports one and then the albany game will be saturday at 2 30 in the afternoon i don't have the broadcast info in front of me i think that's fs2 saturday is a super loaded day for college basketball because we're kind of in the middle of finals so a whole bunch of teams put their games on saturday so the guys aren't playing during the week Albany's FS1. Okay. All right. So, yeah, pair of FS1 games there. Make sure you're tuned in. And then a week from Saturday, Big East play starts. Providence at Seton Hall. So we'll probably – what do you think? We'll probably do a, a post-game, a non-conference recap, and then a Seton Hall preview? Yeah, I think so. Episodes there. All right. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that next week. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Make sure to check out our articles on Road to the Garden. Joe, keeping up with the Friars coverage. I'm doing the general Big East stuff. Joe, I'm going to be at the Big East opener on Wednesday. Ooh. St. John's to Paul. Should be an interesting game. We'll see how this one goes. <laughs> I, have, I have a hot take for this one. I think DePaul wins. We'll see. I'm, I'm excited. It's, they're still waiting to get guys back. Nick on Jenda there is out for quite a bit now since he had surgery on his wrist, I believe it is. Yeah. So, yeah, it's DePaul's in a weird, weird spot right now. St. John's just lost. It's going to be, should be an interesting game. We'll learn a little bit about both of these teams at that one. Excited Big East play is finally here. Yeah. And we'll get into it. All right. Well, follow us. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You see Joe's handle there if you're doing the video one. If you're not doing the video one, come join us. Subscribe on YouTube. We do our shows on the Twitter account as well. So turn on those alerts, you know, when we're going live and you can come uh, come hang out with us. We'd love to yeah. have you here. We see there's two, two people watching right now at this very second. So thank you guys for checking in. We'll be back with you later this week. That's Joe Howie. I am Matt St. G. And let me play the outro music. And uh, yeah. All right.